As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea from The Athletic. On today's pod, Chelsea cruise to victory against Manchester City to move to within a point of top spot in WSL. We round up the international blues news, talk defensive ins and outs, and generally try to eke out some more content in the barren wilderness that is the November international break. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic, this is Straight out of Cobham. Along then to another chat about Chelsea. Joining me, Matt, to do that are the Reese James and Ben Chilwell of this podcast. Uh, Liam Toomey, which one of those two would you would you prefer to be? Oh, I th- I'm not sure, really. I, yeah, Reese James is probably I don't know the slightly more dynamic of the two, but I do like the way Ben Chilwell pops up at the back post. And and I'm a left footer, so I guess I've got to take Chilwell. All right, so that means that you can play the piano and Dominic Fifield, you are noted for your numerous works for charity, so that's nice. That sounds like Dom. Well, I do actually play the piano. <laughs> I feel Man snubbed. of many talents. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll do a live show one day. And no, we can, won't. Uh, no, 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 you, we won't. You can play the piano. <laughs> no, play the theme tune. <laughs> People have already turned off. <laughs> Later, we're going to hear from Flo Lloyd Hughes, who was all over Manchester City versus Chelsea in the WSL on Sunday. But first, let's see how the international blues have fared since we last spoke. Plenty of news and notes Chelsea-wise from the international break thus far. Mason Mount's toothache may provide first-rate social media content, but it kept him out of England duty. Rhys James and Ben Chilwell did both start for Gareth Southgate's side as they walloped an Armando Brogelis Albania 5-0 on Friday. Uh, Liam, I was at Wembley and I thoroughly enjoyed it and it looked to me as though it was Rhys James' best game in an England shirt. Would you agree with that? And do you think that he's first in this long queue of right-backs that England have now? Well, I don't watch football during international breaks, but I do watch highlights. Um, (laughs) And the England highlights that I watched, yeah, there were some very encouraging clips of Rhys James just bodying anyone that tried to come near him and, and kind of bustling his way past three or four players rampaging down the right-hand side. It did look like he's taken his best Chelsea form into an England shirt, which is very encouraging to see, particularly given that is probably the highest uh, competition position 
in in the England team. Um, even if you factor in that Gareth Southgate doesn't seem to um, have much use for Trent Alexander-Arnold. I just want to go back and say that when Rhys James first broke through at Chelsea, I, I thought in my head that he, that he could become kind of 80% of what Alexander-Arnold is going forward and kind of 80% of what Aaron Wan-Bissaka was defensively. I know he's not in the best of form at the moment, but he did project as the best defensive one of those young dynamic right backs. And that does seem to be the case. This is not a long-winded way of saying I was right. Um, <laughs> it's more a, a way of just saying I'm very pleased to see the player that, that James is blossoming into because he looks like a very complete wing-back. Um, and you mentioned Chilwell as well. I don't know if you saw on, on Kane's goal. Um, Chilwell's right behind him. If Kane doesn't head that in, I think Chilwell gets, gets himself another goal to go with his prolific run of form recently. Yeah, James on one side, Chilwell on the other. Uh, Dom, you recently penned a joint piece with Mark Carey for The Athletic on how Thomas Tuchel's unlocking those wing-backs attacking threat. It felt to me like Gareth Southgate had, had read the article and, and implemented uh, the key messages therein on Friday. I I was a bit, not not alarmed, but I was when Southgate was talking about the, the wing-backs in the build-up to the Albania game... He kept stressing that they're in his head that their priority has to be defensively. That they have to be defensively strong. They have to be, they have, you know, they are defenders first and foremost. And this coming from a player that made his professional debut um, at Palace as a as a right back early on, albeit he he then gravitated first to midfield and then then to centre half. So I was a bit. I wonder whether he would, you know, give James and Chilwell the the leeway to to play with the freedom they do to express themselves at, at, at Chelsea. But I think, to be honest, it was the standard of the opponent, really, that invited it against Albania, because Albania was so poor and so open in that first half in particular. They just invited problems upon themselves. The, the piece with Mark was very much looking at how the Chelsea wing-backs exploit a what they call the half space, sort of that, that area between the 18-yard box and um, and the penalty, uh, sorry, and, and the six-yard box. So that sort of channel that runs up the pitch slightly in field. Um, and a lot of the progress they make and a lot of the damage they inflict is, is in that area, often with players on the outside, you know, that they exploit the spaces as, as opponents are dragged wide to 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 deal with wingers. Uh, and England did do that. A lot of Reese James's um, impact in that first half came in that half space. He 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 revelled in it. He he bulldozed players out of the way relentlessly, and and deserved all the the plaudits that he got for that performance because Albania had absolutely nothing. They couldn't they couldn't resist him. They, he was he was unplayable um, and the strength and power to his game that he has and the confidence that's flowing through him at the moment, it's just bringing out all his best qualities. And so it wasn't a surprise that, 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 that England could sort of replicate the Chelsea form. Although I, I do wonder whether ultimately Southgate, you know, in a, in a game against a decent opponent, his instinct may still be to pick a, a sort of more legitimate defensive right back, somebody I dare say, if they play a back four, it's more likely to be a Walker or, or a Trippier maybe playing on that side than a James or a Alexander-Arnold. Um, and it's only really when they, they go to a three uh, that, that one of those two gets a nod. 
I've got nothing to add on James and Chilwell. I'd just like to point out that after months of ribbing me for expected goals news, Dom just embarks on a casual monologue about half spaces. <laughs> I know. Liam, exactly. you've yeah, been yeah. away for how many months now? <laughs> there is a void at the Athletic and apparently somebody has to step up and fill it. I'm more than happy to hand these reins back to you in a few few weeks' time. Um, believe me, the, the XG thing... I mean, God, my XG for pieces on XG is pretty spectacular at the moment, and it's not something I'm proud of. Um, Dom, you've seen more of Conor Gallagher than the rest of us this season. You'll have been cheered, I'm sure, therefore, that he managed to get a call-up for the San Marino game, which is tonight, as we are recording. Lots of people had to pull out, but he got there. That's the main thing. He ought to get a little run out as well, hadn't he, against the uh, the part-timers? Yeah, he's done really, really well. He's been He's been excellent at Palace. Um, I mean, I have I have watched a lot of him, and I and I would say that there are definitely aspects of his game that still need work before he he looks like a polished Chelsea player in waiting. He's all about the aggressive running, and and um, and he's perfect for this Palace team because the the, the role that Vieira has given him is this energetic midfielder, box to box, but also filling that space in the on the right-hand side with a winger that drags wide. And again, it's a bit like that half-spacing and doing it again. Bloody hell. He's like the Palace wing-back. He's, that, is the, that is the channel that he's exploiting. Um, and he's he's been he's fantastic. I think he's scored four goals already. That's, you know, he's on course for 14 goals this season at, at, at Palace, which is which I think probably would make him our leading scorer in a Premier League season in this, in this nine-year stint. But, oh, no, no, in fairness, I think Benteke may have actually exceeded that once. But... He has been, has he's been great, and it's it's nice to see that some of this young English talent that does go out on loan does get an opportunity when we see at an international level when we see them playing regularly. I mean, this is the same thing that happened to Ruben Loftus Cheek. He came to Palace on loan for a season and ended up in a World Cup. Conor Gallagher has only had eleven games, um, and he's now in an England squad. Uh, I think he'll learn a lot this season. I think he'll do, he'll do really, really well with the regular game time, fitness permitting. There are definitely things that he has to learn. I noticed that he, he got something like 11 or 12 bookings at West Brom last season. He's already got four at Palace this season in 11 matches. I don't think he's played, he's probably only played 10 because he wouldn't have played against Chelsea on the opening day. And he was very canny with his bookings last year in that he, despite getting 12, he was never suspended. He had four before the five cutoff and then nine before the 10 cutoff and then picked up some more cheap bookings right at the end of the season. But I think the way that he plays and the the sort of aggression that he shows in the tackle, he will get some suspensions at Crystal Palace this season um, in in this style. And, and Palace will really, really miss him because he's he's just added a different dimension to their midfield. Uh, elsewhere, in terms of the European Chelsea players involved, Tony Rudiger played in Germany's 9-0 destruction of Liechtenstein and he managed to pick up a booking, which was nice because it, it meant that he got the game against Armenia off on Sunday, for which Kai Havertz returned having missed that first game and scored, Liam. You were, you were dancing a jig in your living room, I've no doubt. Lovely little near-post finish. It, was, uh, it looked as if he'd been monitoring Olivier Giroud in training at Cobham by the way he took that. Um, should have had another one as well uh, chances were, were pretty plentiful for Germany against Armenia as you might imagine but there, there was another sort of near post shot from a delivery from the other side of the pitch 
uh, where he only clipped the outside of the post, really should have scored. He's still not quite as clinical in those situations as you saw him be at Leverkusen. Um, so I'm still kind of waiting for that penny to drop at Chelsea. But for, for whatever reason, he, he has seemed to have not missed a beat for, for Germany since having quite a positive Euros. And I think, um, you know, at a time where he's still trying to find his best rhythm for Chelsea this season, that can only be a positive thing. He goes away on international duty and gets a bit more confidence up. Uh, Angolo Conte got some minutes. He started for France for the first time since the Euros, helped his team to an 8-0 win against Kazakhstan. He played for 71 minutes. Andreas Christensen's Denmark have already qualified. They beat the Faroe Islands 3-1 ahead of their final group game against Billy Gilmore's Scotland tonight as we record. Not such good news for Jorginho, who missed a 90th minute penalty for Italy. Really baggioed it as well as they were held to a one-all draw by Switzerland. It means both teams still have a chance of winning the group ahead of their final games. Uh, you wonder if Romelu Lukaku might be saying, hmm, maybe I'll take the Chelsea penalties from this point on. A great story, though, for Christian Pulisic. Came off the bench to head in across by Tim Weyer, son of former Blue George. It's got to be the first time that the son of a former Chelsea player has provided an assist for a current Chelsea player. Uh, there was more to it than that, though, Don, wasn't there? Pulisic had a, had a message for Mexico, the team the USA were playing in his celebration. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't ask me to explain the intricacies of this, but it all it all relate it all related to pre-match comments from a one of the veteran Mexican players that it, who implied that that the United States look in the mirror and want to see Mexico in terms of their football development and you know the fervor of their supporter base, etc., and the popularity of the sport. So when he scored with one of his first touches after five minutes on the pitch, he yanked up his his replica shirt to to display a t-shirt that said "Man in the Mirror," and then it all gets a bit complicated because I don't. I suppose he he means that Mexico look in the mirror and they see Christian Pulisic, or does he just like Michael Jackson? I don't know. It's all a bit it's all a bit strange, but but it seemed to. It'll it'll have riled up that 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 rivalry even more. Um, it was a great, a, a really really timely intervention. I'm I'm doing a piece this week. Uh, I'll preempt your your last section um, from the pod. I'm doing a piece this week, looking at how he performed in these two matches. Given that Chelsea haven't seen him really since the opening day of the season, and some fluky win over South London rivals, um, and he, you know to, to to come off the bench and that that would have pepped his confidence hugely to score the goal and we'll see how he does against Jamaica on Tuesday night I think it's a 10pm kickoff in the UK um, in their next World Cup qualifier another critical one for them because they're now top of their section in CONCACAF and uh, we'll see we'll see where that goes and how much game time he gets them Yeah Liam do you think Thomas Tuchel will want Pulisic to start that second game and, and if he does Tuesday to, to early kick off on Saturday is that enough time to, to cross the, the time zones and, and be in a position to feature at Leicester I think you'll just want him to get back to Cobham in one piece um, you know it, it's been really hard to to watch Pulisic kind of labour away and, and be at Stamford Bridge in street clothes week after week when particularly when in, in games when Chelsea have struggled a little bit for that kind of invention and, and just drive with the ball in the final third, which is something that he's so good at, at providing. Yeah, he, he, he will just offer something different. And I know that Tuchel has tended to look at him as more of an impact substitute 
Um, something that I think has frustrated Pulisic considerably since the since the coaching change. Um, so that would suggest maybe Pulisic comes off the bench after the international break for Chelsea, at least initially. But just having him available will be a big, big plus because he, he can do certain things that Chelsea's other forward players can't um, in terms of just carrying the ball into dangerous areas and really good instincts for making those runs into the box around a number nine. I think some of Chelsea's other forwards are still trying to work out how to fit around a, a more fixed number nine. But we, we've already seen with Pudisic when Tammy Abraham was playing that he was very good at, at making runs off Abraham and, and getting himself into scoring position. So I think he can do that with Lukaku as well. Time will tell with that. Uh, also, a shout out to Thiago Silva, 37-year-old Thiago Silva, captain Brazil, as they became the first team from South America to qualify that after they beat Colombia by a goal to nil. OK, next today, we'll turn our attention to the women's team. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And in goes the Paul again. It's Ericsson almost on the goal line. Not even played an hour. And it is 4-0 to Chelsea. By the second half, the team really came together and I think delivered devastating blows with the second goal just before half-time. But the third and fourth goal, immense, all well worked to the training ground. You know, the restarts were excellent. Job done. If you asked me if I would take 4-0 before the game started, I would have absolutely snapped your hand off for it. So, um, first half wasn't pretty, but, you know, second half we had to regroup um, at half-time and Emma's made a change as well. And, you know, tactically we got it right in the second half and we were able to be more secure in defence, but also cause more of a threat and attack. A fantastic result for Chelsea women on Sunday as they won an away WSL game at Manchester City for the very first time, 4-0. The final score. Flo Lloyd Hughes joins us to talk about it now. Uh, Flo, in the unlikely event that the podcasting work dries up, you've, you've always got a, a sideline in soothsaying. You were telling us last week that this might be a bit of a damp squib given the state that City are in. And my goodness me, they really are in a state. Yeah, I mean, they're an absolute mess, aren't they? Um, took Jesse Fleming all of two minutes to sneak in and, and score a goal for City mistake, which is just, again, Tai made two errors in that FA Cup semi-final, which Chelsea won 4-0 just a couple of weeks ago. And it was just the same old story, really. Um, she sort of passed it straight to Fleming. She was trying to find Greenwood with a pretty simple short pass, just, I don't know, maybe five yards to find Alex Greenwood. Passes it straight to Jesse Fleming. Then City sort of try try to get back into the game, and and to be honest, they didn't play that badly. And and in that semi final, they didn't play that badly either for the first sort of twenty minutes. But it's the mistakes that unravel them, and then they really fall apart. And some of their defending, especially from set pieces, I think that 
third goal that Fran Kirby scores. They were absolutely all over the place. Um, there's a real lack of leadership there, which is unsurprising given Steph Horton's injury. Jill Scott still filling in at centre-back. And they're, I mean, they've got some players there who are, you know, traditional defenders in Alex Greenwood and Demi Stokes. But then you've got on the right-hand side, Jill Scott and, and Georgia Stanway sort of playing in that patch together back four. But yeah, they look absolutely all over the place. Um hoping to be bailed out by Caroline Weir and Lauren Hemp and, and Chelsea just punished them. And and by all accounts, it wasn't actually a great Chelsea performance, to be honest, but they were very clinical in transition, very good on the counter and just punished any sniff of goal that they got, which is, uh, you know, good news for Emma Hayes. But I still think it's not a sign of the te- sort of test they're going to need from big sides ahead of, big Champions League games ahead of that FA Cup final against Arsenal on the 5th of December. That was another example of how lucky Chelsea are to to have Emma Hayes. The kind of stark contrast between the two dugouts. As you say, Chelsea didn't play very well, particularly in the first half. So at half-time, she makes a sub, brings G off, which is always a big call, and puts Sophie Ingle on. And that that enabled Chelsea to kind of wrestle back control of of the midfield and, and cruise through the second half. Yeah, yeah. And that that control, I think, is going to be really important. We haven't really seen that much of Sophie Ingle this season. Last season, she was filler at times in in an uncomfortable centre-back position. She was sent off in that game uh, against Atletico Madrid at Kings Meadow. And and that was probably a sign of a shaky season that she'd had off the back of a really, really good season in which I think she won Chelsea's player of the season, perhaps in that COVID season. Uh, suspended season um, and yeah last season she didn't get a ton of opportunities and when she did get them it was in a uncomfortable role for her so I think it's good to see her back and providing that sort of solidity in midfield that calmness that um, we hadn't really seen from Chelsea yet this season and at times last season as well. I think we can safely say after last week that, that Chelsea aren't going to have too many problems against the vet on Thursday night but in terms of the, the WSL Arsenal obviously dropped points, although they might see it the other way, given that they scored such a late equaliser against Spurs. Just a point between Arsenal and Chelsea now. Are you giving the likes of Brighton and Spurs any hope in a title race, or is it just going to be a straight shootout between Arsenal and Chelsea? I think it is going to be a straight shootout between Arsenal and Chelsea this season, but I think there are good signs to come about the competition that they might get from elsewhere. I, I don't give... Spurs and Brighton a massive chance of competing for the title but I think in terms of getting points off those big teams in order to make things more interesting throughout the entire season I think that's what's really important I think City are in a a serious transition period and I I think at the moment Taylor can sort of hide behind the excuses of injuries but as soon as those players are back you really need to see some improvement fairly quickly I'm still surprised he is perhaps still in that job. Um, but I, I think it's going to maybe be... It could be a while before we see City compete again for the title, just in, in the amount of disarray they look right now. But I think United, with the foundations that I think Mark Skinner is going to bring them, I think they could be a really good test for Arsenal and Chelsea going forward off the back of what Casey Stoney had already done. So I think it is a really exciting time, but I do think it will inevitably still be the shootout between Arsenal and Chelsea, but it will be a really exciting thing to watch. And it's, it's really exciting to think of that return game at Kings Meadow and the FA Cup final as well. 
Yeah, I was going to say, finally, that, that FA Cup final next month, um, tantalising would be the word I'd use to describe it. Yeah, and, and you know, many people know how much of a rival Arsenal are for Chelsea, how much of a rival Emma Hayes is, uh, Arsenal are for Emma Hayes, sorry. I mean, she, every season, she's they're the team that she wants to beat. And she's built up a nice little rivalry with Jonas Edeval as well. A few comments from both managers, which I think have stirred the pot in a nice way. Hayes wasn't massively impressed with how Chelsea were treated at the Emirates on that opening weekend. And I think she's definitely sort of reminded her players of that, reminded herself of that. And, and they are coming for revenge off the back of that. And I think that that the drop points from Arsenal at the weekend has really probably lit a fire up Chelsea to think right now we've the door is open um, and, and we can and we can take this. Flo, stupendous as always. Thank you very much. We'll speak to you soon. Cheers. Flo Lloyd-Hughes, there you can hear her on all the podcasts. Right, we'll have a chat about potential incomings and exits next. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, not that we're trying to fill time or anything, but given January's not too far away, we thought we'd have a quick chat about some potential movement in and out of Chelsea, specifically in defence. Uh, Liam, you're on paternity leave at the moment, so you're not actively working on the hashtag Koundé update, but I wondered if you if you had a feeling as to whether Chelsea will go back in for him in January uh, specifically and, and whether that will be kind of determined by any of the current defenders signing the contracts that, that in some cases are in front of them at the moment. Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? We haven't there hasn't been a lot of noise around Kunde since um all the momentum died in it towards the end of the summer window. And, you know, you've had Trevor Chalaber coming in, playing so well in the position that Kunde would have played, getting a long term contract. We know that Chelsea have plenty of other uncertainty in that area of the pitch. But we've also seen, I think, in the past with, with Chelsea that they are prepared to take contract negotiations down to the wire. I think they generally back themselves to, um, you know, to kind of get away with it because they don't think players will sign pre-contracts with other clubs in January while there's still a possibility of getting a new deal from Chelsea. And, and you know, in the past, the, the track record suggests they're invariably right about that. Um, there haven't been too many, too many players that have kind of cut short the negotiations and just signed with someone with six months left of the season to go. So Rudiger and Christensen, those situations are very much up in the air. I know Azpilicueta hasn't signed either. Everything I've heard about that suggests that no one's particularly worried. I think that um, 
probably the main reason it hasn't been done is because Chelsea are focusing on Rudiger and Christensen first. But I think as Piliqueta wants to stay and Chelsea want to keep him around. Rudiger's the most interesting one for me because I've said I've said this numerous times. I, th- I feel like he's in a similar sort of situation to uh, Ginny Wijnaldum at Liverpool last season where he's he's in his late 20s. He's got one more big contract in him. His stock is a, is as high now as it's pretty much ever been and likely ever will be. And there's a very distinct possibility that if he reaches next summer as a free agent, a big European club will turn around and offer him silly money um, just to just to prize him away from Chelsea above market value, really in terms of salary. And I think Chelsea, it's been clear all the way through that Chelsea will probably have to pay him a premium to take him out of that free agent market. And so far they haven't been prepared to do so. Not really any surprise um, considering who, what we know about Marina Granovskaya. I think that one will go the distance whether Riddiger stays or not. Dom, do you think he's worth that premium? I guess if PSG come in and say here's 400 grand a week, Chelsea might be able to compete with that, but they probably won't want to. But how do you see the cards falling with, with Rudiger in particular? I, I can't see Chelsea offering half that, to be honest. Um, and I, I don't think they should. Um uh, it's going to sound daft, but I, I, I just, I, I trust Chelsea in their, um, in how they're handling this. I think Marina Granovskaya will get the, the best deal for the club. And if that, if, if Rudiger doesn't want to stay and feels he can get something better elsewhere, then I, I'd still trust Chelsea to go out there and buy a player that that will fill the void, whether that be Kunde or whoever. I, I. I I sort of, I mean, I don't want to say I'm indifferent as to what happens with Antonio Rudiger because he's has, he has done fantastically well and he's been a, a bit of a revelation really since coming back into the team under Tuchel. But I don't feel as if he's the type of player that Chelsea should be paying 400 grand a week to. It's, it just doesn't feel, doesn't sit easily with me that that, that would be the, the way to go on it. And I don't think he'd ask for that either, that Chelsea. I think I think if he was offered 200 grand a week to stay at, at Chelsea, he would definitely take it. Um, it may be that, that that Chelsea would want to offer even less than that, but it just just feels as if it's a type of situation that will be re- resolved, and whatever happens, Chelsea will come out of it okay. Because if if they go into the market and get someone else, they'll find someone who can fill that void. I think sufficiently. Um, uh, it will be a shame to see him go because he has been he's been excellent, as I say, over, over this calendar year. But um, yeah, I think Chelsea as a as a club will will do the right thing for them. I don't think Tuchel would be happy to lose Rudiger, given the the leader that he's emerged as in in this team. But Chelsea have always been very wary of falling into the traps that, say, Manchester United have done mm. or Arsenal have done in recent years, where you end up paying a you end up giving a guy his last big payday, um, and you get his declining years. Um, at absolute top dollar or above top dollar. Chelsea have always been very wary of... Uh, that's really what the over 31-year deal policy is all about um, that they've had in place for many years. But the, mo- the most fraught situation for me, I think, is not Rudiger, it's Christensen um, because he is someone who could be the future of Chelsea's defence for many years. I think he's he's finally blossomed into the defender that many people thought he could be. And he seems a natural in that back three, whether it's in the middle or on the right. 
seems like he wants to stay at Chelsea as well. I know it's been reported that there was a, a demand from his agent to you know sign a three-year deal rather than a five-year deal. I don't know whether we've heard that. Um, that would be strange. That you don't see that very often, especially for a player of Christensen's age. But I think Chelsea do need to get him tied down because he, he's someone who, even if you make him one of the higher earners in the squad, I think he'll probably justify that. And he will have resale value due to his him him being several years younger. Um, you know, he, he's the Thiago Silva replacement, but he's probably the linchpin of Chelsea's defence once Silva, Pilaqueta, Rudiger are gone. Yeah, it was interesting that, that Chelsea published a story on on their website last week with, with quotes from Christensen talking about the new contract, saying I feel valued, I'm happy, but I don't get into the contract situation. Wonder if that was a, a subtle way of kind of applying a bit of pressure uh, onto him. Don, before we move on on this, we'll, we'll assume Aspilicueta is going to stay. That might be a wrong assumption, but I think it's probably a fair one. Uh, Marina Granovskaya, we've mentioned her a couple of times there. What's her her reputation like within the football industry? I, I know it's not her position is not one that, that supporters generally talk about a lot or pay much much attention to. But but it strikes me that that she is excellent at, at the role of negotiating contracts and, and getting signings over the line. Is is that kind of how she's seen in in the wider football world? I think so. Yeah, you talk to agents who who deal with Chelsea and and that they always speak very highly of her and. They, she, they know that she's a very, very tough negotiator. That's, um, that is her reputation. That's what she's. Her, her reputation is forged upon that 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 uh, that, that tough stance um, towards talks and, and deals. But but very, very professional. Just knows knows the game inside out. Actually, and she's always done that on the quiet. I mean, she, it's she. She is. Roman Abramovich's eyes and ears on, on the ground at Cob- at uh, Cobham at Stamford Bridge. She runs that club, and given that r- since Michael Emanalo's departure, which would have been what in twenty eighteen, I think now we've been talking. We talked consistently at the time. I remember, you know, oh, they're going to appoint a director of football who's going to come in and and take all these transfer negotiations and contract negotiations, and and that will be their role. Chelsea haven't needed to. Chelsea had someone in-house who was eager to do that job, was good at doing that job, uh, and has taken it on willingly. And I, I think her reputation has, has soared, really, in the, in the, in the years since within, within football. Uh, yeah, and Chelsea, Chelsea are in very safe hands, I think, on that front. So crucial, isn't it, Liam? You mentioned Manchester United. You see the, the kind of problems that they they have of their own making in these kind of things you you need somebody not just competent but excellent in this kind of position yeah the transfer market is difficult to navigate um and and difficult to navigate without making too many ripples and i think you often see with united are not the only club that do this but you you often see with united that things leak out when they don't want them to um, when they're trying to do deals and they maybe get their fans' hopes up and then nothing happens. That very rarely happens with Chelsea. The one I can remember in recent years was Lukaku when Chelsea felt that they got burned by Mino Raiola at the last minute. Um, but generally, when you hear that Chelsea are going to do a deal, it's because they're going to do a deal. It, it's because it's at the, you know, almost at the finish line. They they tend to work very quietly and very efficiently and that that part of the operation is Granovskaya. That is what she does. Um, and she's very respected for the discretion with which she operates. 
Um, in terms of the in terms of the recruitment, though, I think it, it's more even without a director of football as such. I know Petacek is kind of growing into that role over time. There is just more of a clarity of structure at Chelsea, and and you know that you know who's going to be around the table having the conversations. At Manchester United, you don't, and it just seems like they've they, they've maybe handed the reins to Ali Gunnar Solskjaer and tried to make him Fergie two point when not only. Well, is maybe he isn't that guy, but football doesn't really operate that way anymore, at least not at the top level. Um, so Ch- Chelsea, I mean, you can see with the recruitment they've done the last couple of years, that that model has, has certainly borne itself out, and um, and they'll hope it continues to do so. Which is why uh, th- th- there appears to be a logic and a philosophy to what Chelsea does. Which is why I don't have any real concerns over the these defenders' situations. I agree with Liam, and I think Andres Christensen is the one to get sorted out, and and I I think it will. I think you know everything you said just points to it being done um, on a deal that will suit Chelsea as much as it suits him. With Rudiger, it, yeah, whatever comes out of that situation, it'll 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 be it'll be what it is. It'll suit all parties effectively, I think. And and Chelsea, it does help when you have a you know considerable clout in the in the transfer market, and you can go and spend a lot of money, and you can generate money as well. They have they have assets that they can sell as they as they showed as they showed last summer. I mean, they made a profit from that window, which is just staggering. When they spent almost a hundred million pounds on Romelu Lukaku, it's it's. It's incredible, and but they have, as as Liam says, there's there's a there's a structure in place that works at Chelsea, and f- for all that they are, are streamlined and effective, there are other clubs like United that seem dysfunctional in comparison. Well, whatever happens with those contracts, you can be assured that the Athletic will be the best place to keep abreast of any developments. Right, that's just about it for today Dom you've already teased what you've been working on tell us a little more if you'd be so kind yeah I'm, I'm hoping to get a the interview out with um Stephen Watt um later this week uh who one of the one of the players who featured in that 2004-05 title success um a non-league manager these days down in Kent um and yeah, a bit of analysis of Christian Pulisic's performance against Jamaica and on on Tuesday night, and we'll see where that goes with a view to Leicester City at the weekend. Uh, Liam, your current role is reading pieces on the Athletic, and you've read Simon's joint effort with Mark Carey about uh, the peak age of Chelsea's squad and why it means that they are primed for more success. Yeah, and that's that's all tied into the um, the piece that, that that Tom has done looking at the broader Premier League um, and, and the landscape of all the different clubs and, and of all the top clubs, Chelsea have the most win-now squad. They have the the most players in, in what Tom has analysed to be when players peak um, in terms of their the share of minutes played and and their, their general production. It's a great piece of work from our outgoing uh, analytics guru, Tom Werville. He, he's a huge loss for us, a huge signing for RB Leipzig. We wish him well. Um, he'll always be welcome back at the at the London office. Uh, I, I, that was one for Adam Hurry, but um, but no, I, yeah, I just enjoy, enjoyed the analysis of um, of players by position, and, and the most interesting thing for me was that I think, given the more athletic sort of high intensity nature of the game now, with the rise of pressing. 
players are peaking a little bit earlier than than you would naturally assume. You know, we always thought sort of 27, 28 for most positions, maybe slightly older for goalkeepers. And it is true that it's older for goalkeepers, but for fullbacks and central midfielders, it's now looking more like 24 to 26, which kind of makes sense when you think about how much running they have to do these days. So that was just one interesting thing about it. And, and Simon's piece applying it to Chelsea is very good. I'd recommend it. So Tom Warville off to RB Leipzig. Listener, we can only hope that Liam doesn't get a job as Kai Havertz's personal assistant before he returns and that Dom's not snaffled up to be Palace's new kit man. Uh, they've got the day off on <laughs> Thursday. Sam Parkin and Simon Johnson will be with me for the show then. We'll celebrate the return of the Premier League and look ahead to the Blues game away to Leicester this coming weekend. Join us for that if you can. Until then, it's goodbye. <laughs> The Athletic.